Now, if you have not been with us, let me tell you where we're at. We're in a series called Level 4. And uh, I've actually had people walking up and grabbing me and saying, man, I'm here in this level four. What does it mean? And it's given me an incredible chance to share with people. But uh, on Facebook, we've seen it going. Twitter, we've seen it going. uh, And it's really been fun. So you might say, okay, what is it? Well, let me tell you what it is before we get further in it today. Uh, Level one is a place of exploring. It's when you begin to ask maybe the most important, actually the most important questions you can ask in life. Is there a God? Is he chosen to reveal himself? Is the God of the Bible true? Is there a reason I was born? Do I have a purpose? And you begin to to ask those questions and search, and that's an incredible place to be at level one. And then for, for a lot of us, we came to a place where we understood that Jesus really is true. That he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. That he died on the cross for our sins and for our hurts. And when we hit that knowledge and we say, I want this, Lord. I want a relationship with you. I want life with you. We go to level two. That's a place of conversion where God forgives you and loves you and redeems you and makes you a new creation. And there's a conversion experience that takes place. And you begin to live the life God has for you. If you move forward in that the way you're supposed to, you go to level three. And at level three, it's a place of deep connection with God. Not a religious connection. A relational connection with him that is so real and intimate and powerful and growing. And and I'm going to talk later on about lots of ways to enhance that. But level four is where we want everybody to be. And let me say again, this is not an issue of maturity or time or perfection. This is a place of all-out commitment. You can immediately jump there. All of us are meant to be living here. It's the place where we would say the words of Jesus, not my will, but your will be done. Lord, I don't want to live my life for me. I want to live it for you. I want to be who you made me to be. I want to live the life you have for me. And and I'm going to be like Isaiah and say, here I am, send me. Or like Abraham, and you say, go, and I'll go. And the bottom line is, Lord, no holding back. Now, let me tell you, this is the greatest life you could ever live. It's what you were made for. It's who God wants you to be. And, And by the way, we need to grab hold of it and go with it. And when you do, it's anything but boring. Not always easy. But anything but boring. And by the way, I want to say this again. It's not about being perfect up here. As a matter of fact, the closer you get to God, the more aware you may be of some imperfections. Now, that's what we've been studying. So now that we've been talking about that, we're digging into the idea of how does that come out in a relational settings. And so now we're talking in this series on marriage and family. And, and we're in the last part of the marriage part. And, and what I want you to grab hold of is this. A few weeks ago, we saw a level four marriage keeps getting better and better and better. Uh, we saw the next week after that, a level four marriage is filled with amazing love and, and transforming love. And we talked about what that meant. Then we saw last week that level four living in a marriage setting has passionate, extravagant affection for one another. And that was a, that was a good one. And uh, so, so then we begin. Now, now, where are we at now? There's four ingredients that must take place to have a level four marriage. To be the kind of marriage God wants it to be. Now, I do need to stop and have you grab something with me if you're new. While we're talking about marriage, and we are, we're also talking about a relationship with Jesus. The Apostle Paul said, that, behold, I tell you a mystery when he was speaking about marriage. He said, I want you to know that it's a great mystery how God joins a husband and wife together to be one. He says, but I want you to also know I'm teaching you about Jesus and his church. 
In other words, all the things we're going to talk about today, I want to have you try to also think about not just a marriage setting. So if you're not married today or going to be married, this still applies to you. It's about your intimate relationship with Christ. And how that applies. Now, if you're going to get married, you need to make sure this is what you go to. If you are married, I want you to begin to live this out. And, and by the way, if your marriage isn't what God wants it to be, he can save it. He can restore it. And I'm going to get pretty honest about Pam and I today. We needed that. But, but what are those four ingredients? And I want you to look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 with me. For this reason... A man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. The first ingredient is leaving. Let me say this as clearly as I can. Guys, you're not supposed to carry your mom into your relationship with you. You don't take her on your honeymoon. You don't carry her into your home setting that way. In other words, here's where I'm going. You don't want to walk around with your mom in a backpack. Richard. Lisa. For me? Mm-hmm. Thank you. You're so sweet. Come on in. You look so nice. You look wonderful. Thanks. It'll just be another minute, okay? Okay. Mary, will you Lisa me? <sighs> Lisa, will you marry me? Richard? Richard! Richard! <laughs> Mother! Oh, it's about time. It's awfully dark in here. I thought we agreed that if you were going to go on this date with me, that you were going to stay quiet. Oh, don't worry, honey. I just want to be sure that you're having a fun time with Linda. Lisa! Oh, good for you. Listen, hmm? I'm going to propose to Lisa tonight. You're what? You are what? No, 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 no. Oh, Richard, I can't believe you would do this to me. You are so selfish. Mother, please. What about me? What, what am I going to do? Oh, what, are you just going to leave me so you can marry that, that Linda girl? Lisa. I gave birth to you. Don't guilt trip me now, Mom. I'll guilt trip you just as much as I want to because I'm your mother. Okay, I'm sorry, Mom. Aren't you my number one guy? Hmm? Yeah. Who's my number one guy? I am. Who's my number one guy? I am. <laughs> then shouldn't I be your number one girl? Yeah. Aw, <laughs> that's a good boy. Then give your mommy a kiss. Richard, what are you doing? Mommy! Oh, man. <laughs> okay. I got to be honest, the first time I saw that, that just freaked me out. I was just like, oh. Now, we're not anti-mom. As a matter of fact, we honored moms last week on Mother's Day. We're not anti-mom. But we clearly know that something as special as being a mom, being brought into the relationship in the wrong way, is not healthy. Freaky, scary. And God says, what I want you to do is, <laughs> I want you to make a change here. And uh, uh, if you, okay, if that bothered you, just email me at Tony at Christ, anyway, uh, Crossroads. Um, now, now, here's the bottom line is, is when we go to leave, God wants there to be a separation or a break. It's kind of interesting that uh, in Jewish wedding ceremonies, I'm going to talk about that twice today, uh, what they do that's a little different than ours. 
In our ceremony, very often the bride comes walking down the aisle escorted by her father and he has a giving of the bride. But in Jewish wedding ceremonies, the, the groom comes in with his mother and father on each side of him and they walk him in. The bride comes walking in with her mom and dad on each side of her and they both at the point have a giving. They both are handing their children over. And the idea behind that is to say, this is giving birth to a new family. And they are to leave us. They are to go be separate from us. They are to have their own life together. Now, notice something very interesting in this passage. It says, for this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother. Now, that ought to grab you for a second. Here's why. At the time this was written, it was written to a patriarchal society where the woman did leave. When someone went to get married, they would actually send the, the bride to be with the, the, the groom's parents. He would probably just set up a tent next door. He would live in the midst of his family. He would take over the family business or work in it. So, so here's the thing that is, why did God say a man shall leave? Because the woman, it's a given. Why does it talk about the man? Well, it's because there's three things, three ingredients to a true leaving that are healthy. Three things that must take place that help that leaving to be something that God is going to bless. And I want you to think about it. The first one is financial. Back in this day and time, and actually in the time of Jesus, if a man wanted to marry a girl, he went and met with the, the father. He actually made an appointment with him, and he sat down, and he said, uh, I would love for you to give your daughter to me in marriage, and I want to prove that I can support her. So he would hand over a dowry, and the dowry was to be enough money for her to live on if something ever happened to him or something went wrong in the relationship, and the father was entrusted to keep it so she would always have security. That was the first way of proving he could financially support her. The second thing he would then do is be interviewed by the father about his livelihood and his ability, even if something happened to his family, to be able to care for the daughter. It was a pretty extensive process. And what would happen is the, the father would want to know, can you take care of my daughter? Now, by the way, this is very biblical. And in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 27, it says this. It says, prepare your work outside and make it ready for yourself in the field. And afterwards, then build your house. God is saying, I want you, if you're going to get married, to make sure that you've got an income. I want you to make sure you have financial security. I want you to make sure you're taken care of. And, and especially in this case, he's saying, I want the man to be able to go and prove he could live apart if he needed to and care for the girl. Now, now if you haven't caught it, I, I don't want you to miss this. To God, to God, finances are not a part of your life. They, they literally define your life. To God, finances are seen as very, very spiritual. And he wants you to see it that way. As a matter of fact, we're going to look in two weeks, we're going to begin level four finances, how to get uh, our finances into a spiritual realm and live correctly and not be weighed down by the depression and the stress that so many are under because of the world and credit markets. So we're going to get into all that. But let me tell you this one thing you're going to see over and over and over. God says nothing defines where your heart is and what you truly love more than how you spend your money. If it's selfish in how you spend your money, you're a selfish person. If you have lack of discipline in how you spend your money, then obviously you're not a disciplined person. But where you spend your money shows your priorities. And the Lord says, I want you in the very beginning of something so important called marriage to say that I have my finances in order in such a way that I would take care of my family. Again, this is super spiritual to the Lord. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8 says this, but if anyone does not provide for his own 
And especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than a non-believer. He says, you know, you could say you're a Christian all day long, but you don't care for your family financially, you've denied the faith. You, he said, it would be better that you were never saying you're a Christian than you squander your money that way and you don't create security for your family. It would be better not to have the name. And see, to God, this is huge. So back in this day and time, they would have to prove they could support. That would be much like today, guys, that if you want to marry a girl, you go and meet with the dad. And you say, hey, I, I, I really want to marry your daughter, so I need to show you something. Here's my credit report. Here's my bank statements. Here's my 401k. Here's our budget. I can take care. See, that's what it's like. Now, I, I want you to know, some of you are going, man, I don't know about that. Some of you know Doug Cusin, who's a pastor here? When Doug wanted to marry Maureen, he had a time to meet with her dad. He actually brought his stock portfolio and his bank statement to show him. He wanted her that bad. Now, let me give you a quick side note. All of you who are one day going to get married, I really believe that you ought to do something like this. And I'm so serious that, guys, when you're really, really passionate about a girl, you ought to say to her, hey, tonight I want to take you somewhere special. I want to take our relationship to a depth of intimacy that God's going to bless and I just can't wait to share this with you. And you get her out into a fairly nice restaurant, and you sit her down, and you say, I just want to show you how serious about you I am. Here's my credit report. And I'd like to see yours. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't even imagine a couple getting together and not. You know what's weird? I've had couples go, oh, I don't know. That's, a, oh, that's pretty. You know, if you're going to get married, you need to share that. I mean, you know what? I have a lot of power from the state of California. And when I finally sign that paper and send it in, I have merged your debts. Did you know that? You become responsible. And God says, I want you to take care of it this way. I want you to make sure it's something you do that's correct. And God's great desire is we would do that. So we have to see a, a, a new family relationship that is financially secure uh, for marriage to be the marriage that God wants it to be. And we need to look to do that. The second way there's a leaving is there needs to be uh, a leaving of family relationships and traditions. Now, I'm not saying you don't love your parents or you don't love uh, the people in your life. You still do and you value them. But, but there becomes a change. You see, here's the point. Guys, if you're married, uh, God should be number one in your life and your wife should be number two. By the way, even over your kids. You should love God first, your wife second, uh, your children, and your family comes after that. But the bottom line is there's a major shift that happens. And that's why there's this new birth in family. Wives, you should love your husband uh, besides God, second in your life. And, and, and more than children, uh, more than, and it really needs to be that kind of priority shift that happens. And God says, I want that to be the new birth that takes place. There's almost this kind of cutting of the apron strings or umbilical cord and says, we have this new life together. And, and by most people would say, okay, that's what I want to do. But what we need to understand is very often in marriage, I watch this not happen. Uh, I see couples struggling and under stress because they really haven't done it. Now, I know most of you go, no, 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 we did it. Now, here's what I'm getting at. Not just in-law problems, although that can be there. I'm talking about a couple that comes together, and the man enters a relationship and says, well, I'm really glad we're married, and we, you, whoa, whoa, no, that's not how we do things. We, we need to do things the right way, meaning my way. And the girls say, no, 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 we need to do things my way. And, and where I'm going with this is, very often, this couple comes together, and what happens is they think the way their family acts is the way everybody ought to act, and that's the right way to act. But the truth is, it's not a right way or a wrong way, necessarily. Now, let me give you a quick, easy one. When do you open your presents at Christmas? Christmas Day or Christmas Eve? I watched some couples go to war over that one. 
No, 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 it's the right, and it's just their family background. And what you need to do is give birth to your own traditions and your own ways of doing things. I'm going to get really transparent with you, so get ready. And uh, Pam and I have talked about this, and and I'm going to tell you the honest truth. So let me give you the background. Uh, I was raised in an incredible family, loved my mom and dad. My mom especially is, is someone who really affected me in this way because my mom is one of the most incredible mothers you've ever been around, super mom to the hilt. My mom almost always worked a job all of our growing up, but she never missed one event we had. Scouting, sports, what, she was always there and, and never looked tired. My mom uh, kept our house perfect. I mean, not just clean, it was organized. And you know what? If my sister and I, we threw our dirty clothes in the hamper, it magically appeared back in our drawers, all nice and clean. And, and you know, my, uh, my mom cooked incredible meals every single night. So we had family dinner together. And I remember some nights I'd come home and I would say, hey, what's for dinner? And my mom would say, oh, we're having this. And I would say, oh, really? She goes, oh, I'll make you something else. Yeah. Yeah. And you ready? My grandmother, my grandmother was the same way. My grandmother, you talk about a clean house, that old saying you could eat off the floor. It was that spotless and that clean. And when we had family gatherings, what we did is my dad and I sat down and my grandfather and my mom and my grandmother went and got everything and waited on us. And then, like, if I, and my grandmother's like, oh, do you need anything? If I named it, she ran and got it. And if I got up to get something, she'd make me sit down and go and get it. Then I married Pam. <laughs> yep. Sitting there at dinner one night, I said, where's the butter? She goes, I think it's in the fridge. And I go, oh, and she goes, you could get it. <laughs> yeah. Now, I want to be honest about this, so I've got to say it correctly. Pam is not into our house being dirty. Not at all. She would, dirty would, but she isn't organized. There's like a loss of organizational ability there. As a matter of fact, Pam kind of likes clutter. I hate clutter. I think, matter of fact, I used to tell her, it's wrong. You're dirty. You know, cleanliness is next to godliness. It's somewhere in the Bible. If not, I'm writing it in. And, uh, you know... And, 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 and she, we, our house, and I'd be like, and then Pam would start these crafts, and I'd go, you put it on my chair. And she goes, oh, I know, I'll move it. I go, when are you going to finish? She'd go, I, I don't know. It'll sit there for months. And, 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 and people would come over, and I'd be like, Pam, people are coming over. She goes, oh, good. I go, no, not good. Look at this place. Look what we look like. And she's like, oh, no. I, and she would be inviting people over. And I'm like, what are you doing? And, and it, it drove me crazy. And I'm not kidding. I'm kind of joking, but man, we went at it over that. And by the way, when you're the clean one, you can make the other one sound really evil. <laughs> and then I, I finally talked to my mom. I thought, I've got to get some help here. And, uh, and I don't remember the exact words, but I remember my mom listening, and she looked at me, and she gave me two pieces of advice. And one is, she said, your father and I took years to get where we're at. And number two, you're married to Pam, so just go be with her. And uh, <laughs> so... Then I went to my dad, and my dad's advice was a little different. My dad's advice was, well, if you don't like it, you clean it up. <laughs> and, um, and then he said this, but don't complain about it. Don't, and I was like, oh, so I got no sympathy there. And, and that's good. That was healthy. They were saying, go be a new family. Go be the person you're supposed to be. Go love her <laughs> anyway. And, uh, and, and so, you know, and, and, and here's what we learned. We had to give. You know, I had to actually give some to her. She had to give some my way. And, and so we had to just to learn to live with this and come up to a compromise and agreement. And by the way, to learn to cherish that. 
I needed to cherish the fact that Pam loves to throw the door open and say, come in and make people feel welcome and not really care about all those other things. Uh, on the other hand, she needed to, well, anyway. And, uh, and, and so we went through this and, and now we've got this kind of area of compromise. We had to quit saying my way is right. We had to say, what is God calling us to be? How can I let her be her? How can she let me be me? And how can we help each other be our best? Now, now it has turned out so good. Now, I, I told you before, the first year of our marriage, and I'm going to get into this more later, was tough. Uh, a year and a half, well, is a long time. But uh, uh, it was tough. But the bottom line has gotten better and better. And, and today, I love it. I love what's going on. I love how we live. Uh, just this week, well, we had a kind of awakening experience to this all over again. We had not been around uh, Noah and Maya for a while because of my travels and stuff. And so we were dying to get back with them. And, and on Tuesday, Pam would have them over. And Noah's two, if you don't know, Maya's one. And so she got them in the house and they were so excited to be there. And she just turned them loose. Go for the toys. And these two human tornadoes, these twin uh, uh, energies of disaster. I want you to have you see what they did to my house. Look at this. It was clean before that. It really was. And, and Pam, now you ready for this? She takes a picture and emails me going, look how much fun we're having. <laughs> and I'm going, what? And uh, 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 by the way, then 41 of you told her she was doing a good job. Uh, but when I walked in the door, and the house actually was a little more than that, and I see those kids playing and laughing and running to show me stuff, I really mean this. It was heaven on earth. I mean, I, 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 we were having the greatest time ever. The kids were having the time of their life. They couldn't have enjoyed it more. Pam's laughing. We actually had people over. Ashley and Larissa are over. Jill's over. Liam's over. I couldn't blame him. Uh, but, um, and we're laughing and having the, and I really did. I, I thought, praise God for my wife. Praise God for who she is. Praise God for the way she loves. You know, we can clean a house. But man, we can't give kids moments like that all the time. And uh, uh, it's good to give. It's good to have something new. And it's not always easy. So we need to have a, a, a leaving that creates financial security. We need to have a leaving that creates new family relationships and traditions. And now you're ready for this. This is important. We need to have a leaving that means we leave dysfunction behind. We leave dysfunction behind. It, it, it's when this new relationship is born, we need to go to something different and we need to have this new relationship and we've got to be as, as tenacious as we can about pushing away the old hurts and the wounds and the in, 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 in healthy, unhealthy uh, ways of, of dealing with conflict or, or situations. We've got to do that. Now, why I want to say my opinion is you should have most of those solved before you get into marriage. I, I'm not, I'm not naive enough to believe it's like turning on the light switch and it just happens. Uh, uh, and we need to know that. So I want you to shift gears for a second and go into our relationship with Christ. You see, if, if you've been raised in a home where you were wounded deeply, and, and you have had some coping to do, you put on a, a coping mechanism in place, and you've done that for years, it's not always easy just to shut it off and shift into help. And, and, and here's what's so interesting about this. When we end up becoming a Christian, when we finally say yes to Jesus, and he begins the conversion process, I've got to just tell you by experience, this has been my experience, that over the years, I have never, ever one time seen him immediately bring emotional help. He could do it, but I've never seen him do it yet. 
I've seen God heal people physically. I have seen the most amazing, miraculous, instantaneous healings that just blow your mind. But I've never seen him do that with emotional hurts and pains. Now, I, I got to tell you, I think I know why. I think God knows the best healing you can get in that area is going to take time. And what he does do is he comes and cleanses your heart and comes and loves you. And then he comes and throws his arms around you and says, let's walk out of this together. And since I've watched Jesus do that for a lot of people, I want to tell you, I think in marriage, that's what he does. He says to a husband, I want you to throw your arms around your wife and you walk with her out of some of those hurts of the past and pains and, and you're going to need to deal with it. Now again, a lot of that could be done ahead of time and maybe it should be, but, but husbands, uh, you need to love that way. And wives, you need to throw your arms around and say, you know what, and we're going to get through this together. And it's not easy, it's not easy. Uh, if you were raised in an alcoholic home, uh, and this not, may not be true of every single one of you, but for many of you, if you were raised in an alcoholic home, words like, I'm sorry, and I was wrong, are very difficult to say. Now, why? Because the minute you said, I'm sorry, you were a target for attack. You'd revealed a weakness, and you heard things like, you better be sorry, and look what you did to this family, and look at what you made me do, and why don't you... And after a while, you say, I can't say that because I just can't bear to get hit again and again and again. I was wrong. Oh, yeah, you were wrong. And you, you were always, it was manipulated and turned against you and attacked and hit again. And sometimes it was brought out again and brought out again and brought out. And after a while, you're like, oh, no. And you've learned over the years just never to admit a weakness like that. And then you get married. And in marriage, there are lots of times to say, I'm sorry. As a parent, there's lots of times. But it's just not easy to do. And, and God says, I want you to leave that behind. And, and I want you to work to leave that and, and create a new relationship where that's not there. And that's not defining you. And that's not guiding you. And, and so you've got to move to that new relationship. And, and in Christ, by the way, God says, I want you to be a new creation. And, and while he does cause you to be born again, he wants you to move to this way of living. And, and so we need to be able to make that kind of break. And again, it, it can be done. God does it and he makes it incredible. We just have to trust him to let us get there. So we need to start out by leaving. Now the next thing we need to do is go to a joining or a cleaving. Look what it goes on to say in chapter 2 verse 24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. Now, now the old King James Version I liked, it said you should cleave unto your wife. So it says you should leave father and mother, cleave to your wife. The idea behind that Hebrew word is to be so intertwined together you can never ever separate again. He said, I want you to come to a place where you're so tied together, there's no possible way to, to come back apart. A lot of people call it a gluing, and you're glued by loyalty and affection. Uh, uh, a better word might be a scrambling uh, if you were in a Jewish setting and you asked for scrambled eggs, that would be a joined eggs. And you drop two eggs in and spin them around and you can't separate them again. And God says, I want you to become so unified, so one, so joined, that that just defines who you are. Jesus, at a time when divorce was far too easy, screamed against divorce. Did you know that was one of the things he talked against and got attacked for? Because he said, stay married. Just stay there. Work it out. Be committed. And in Matthew chapter 19, he says this in verse 4, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? 
and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Listen to what Jesus says now. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. When I do weddings, by the way, I, I add a, 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 an interpretation to this. Thanks, very accurate. I'll look at the couple and say, what God has now joined together, let no man or court ever separate. Because the court is just people. It doesn't overrule God. And we need to understand God's calling for an amazing commitment there. Lauren Weiner is a girl I've talked about before. It may not ring a bell, but she wrote a book called Mudhouse Sabbath. It's a very intriguing book uh, because what it is, Lauren was raised in an Orthodox Jewish setting and she was a practicing Orthodox Jew. In college, she becomes aware that Jesus is the Messiah. It is an amazing, joyous, eye-opening moment for her when she realized the Messiah she's prayed for night and day has actually come, and he loves her, and he's alive, and he died for her. And, and she's embraced this now. And so she, she hasn't left her Jewish heritage behind. It's been completed by the coming of the Messiah. But, but she has truly become a Christian. And she wrote the book, Mudhouse Sabbath, to say this. There are things in my former Jewish life that, to be honest, I, I treasured and I don't see in Christianity and I think it should be because it's God's calling and a part of who we are and Sabbath is one and, and the whole idea of not a legalistic but a restful Sabbath uh, and, and a, a worshipful one. And then she said there are other things that I think it's probably good and there are just differences. And one of the differences is in marriage. And, and she wrote something that just caught me, and I've been researching it, and it really got me. And she said this. She said, as, as a, a new Christian, she said, one of the, my favorite things to go to were Christian weddings. She said, because, you know, in a Jewish wedding, what happens is, is they have some pretty cool things happening, and then they have the exchange of the ring, and then at that moment, they have the reading of the marriage contract. And what they talk about is when you divorce. And, and most the marriage contracts today, by the way, are legally binding contracts. When you divorce, this will be yours, this will be yours, this money will be paid. And they literally go through. And they don't say if, it's just when divorce takes place. And they go through a legal contract that they both sign in front of witnesses and is notarized and legally binding uh, when the couple divorces. What I don't think Laura Weiner knew is that's actually very biblical in concept. Now, here's why. Because in the book of Deuteronomy, as the people are on the edge of the promised land, before they're allowed to go in, God says, here's the agreement I'm going to make with you. Here's the contract I'm going to make with you. And so he goes, here's what's going to happen. When you're disobedient, I'll kick you out. They haven't even gotten in yet. And God tells him he's going to kick them out. And by the way, he ends up doing it. Now, now, now see, that's what's going on in this whole, it's, it's built up a biblical principle. So she said, that, that kind of bothered me. I would go to these weddings of my friends, and, and, and they would talk about divorce. She goes, then I went to a Christian wedding. And it's incredibly spiritual. And they're praying to God, and they're blessing God, and they're asking God to join them together. They're making vows to God to be committed till death do us part, rich or poor. And they're, they're taking communion together. And she said, I understood why they called it a sacrament. Because it was a sacred moment to watch God in the midst of uniting this couple. And the idea of them living and loving and sharing. She said, oh, I was so exciting. She said, then I realized something over the years. My Jewish friends who made a marriage contract that was legal did not divorce. And my Christian friends who vowed to God did. She goes, why is the vow to God not more important? Why is the vow to God not a bigger deal? Why don't they, I mean, you would think a vow to God would trump a marriage contract. And, and the idea that God would join us so we wouldn't leave is huge. 
Now, I've been wrestling this through, and I think I'm coming to a conclusion. If you'd asked me last year, Chuck, do you believe in prenuptials? I would have said no. I think now I do. And as a matter of fact, I think it wouldn't be a bad idea that at Crossroads, if we said any couple who wants to get married has to have a marriage contract. And in that marriage contract, it says this, that if you're unfaithful or you initiate divorce, you will pay $500,000 to the other person. <laughs> and $50,000 to the pastor. <laughs> I'm liking this. Now, I know some of you are going, man, that's funny, but what if we did it? Could you see the couple going, what? Well, you were going to vow death to us, but yeah, well, so just sign. <gasps> what? Half million dollars? Well, no, you're a little richer. It's five fifty for you. You could do a million. You know what is interesting? Do you realize how powerful that is? And yet, I want to ask a question. Are the words of Jesus just something we look at and walk away from? You see, when Pam and I got ready to get married, and, and I, I, let me stop and do this. I am not oblivious to the fact there's some of you here today, this hurts. And I don't want you to think God doesn't love you or care about you. There's some of you here today that, to be honest, you said, man, if I could have kept it together, I would have. Chuck, that wasn't, and, and you know, God knows. Some of you, you know, okay, it was, it, it was pain of the past. And God forgives. I don't want to take that away. Okay, let's, let's don't miss God's grace and love. In saying that, I agree with me, we don't want to miss God's calling and power. And, and Pam and I, when we got married, uh, I made a vow to God and to her that I would never, ever initiate divorce. I say, God, I don't care what Pam does. I am never going to initiate divorce. I'm staying married to her as far as it depends on me. And I, Pam, separately, I found out, made the same vow to God. And I'm praising God we did because when we hit that tough time, when we hit a place where we didn't like each other, and, and I'm looking at her and thinking, man, what did I do? I had said to God, God, I meant it. I'm not walking away. And when Pam's looking at me and thinking, I just can't, Oh, I can't stand him. God, I will not walk away from him. But if you kill him, then... Uh... <laughs> there are some of those moments. <laughs> and, and you know what is, is, here's the thing. We wouldn't have what we have today. We wouldn't have, you know, and, and, and I'm not saying we're perfect, but I want to tell you our marriage is level four. And uh, uh, we wouldn't have that today. What partially made it that way was those tough times. When the love was truly unconditional. You know, I, I had, there's moments in my life, and I know Pam did too, where I looked at her and thought, oh, why does she act like that? And I know what God said, then go love her. But God, she doesn't deserve it. He goes, that's the whole point of unconditional love. And by the way, I can't stand over here going, okay, I'll love her. No, if it's, not, it's love, it's got to be done. And we kept doing it to each other, loving. And we got help. And we got advice. And we got mentoring. And uh, God took us through it. And uh, uh, without that cleaving, without that joining, it wouldn't have occurred. And I want to tell you today that as far as it depends on you if you're married, you ought to look at that other person and say, I'm going to do everything I can to be the wife or husband I should be, and I'm just going to throw myself into this. I'm going to be. Now, I do want to make a quick one. If there's a, a physical abuse going on, we need to talk with you about a better strategy that would fit you. But I want to say that overall what we're talking about and even in that situation what we're talking about is taking God seriously in how we handle this. 
And we need to do it. So what happens is the first two ingredients is that we leave and then we cleave, we're joined together. And then the next thing that happens, look what it goes on to say there. It says, and they shall become one flesh. God says, as you leave, as you commit to be joined, then I will unite you together so that you have a unity that's incredible. And you begin to live your life as a team. And you begin to live your life in sharing together and in being together. And into experiencing empathy together where you feel what each other feels. And there's this amazing unity for you where you know how they think. You know what they feel. You know how they act, how they react. And you love them in the midst of it. And they know you that way. And no one knows you better than that other person. And, and the outgrowth of that, and I'm not going to get deep into this, is the sexual experience. Where, where you are in tune with one another. And that's why in the Hebrew uh, uh, Bible, the, whenever a couple comes together, almost every time it says, and they knew each other. They know each other, and they feel together, and they share together. And by the way, that means that God directs you together. If you're married and you want to know God's will for your life, you separately pray, and God will speak the same thing to you. Because you're, you're one, and God sees that. And it's an amazing union you share. And then it grows from... This idea of leaving, this idea of being joined, this idea of unity, it says, and they were naked and not ashamed. They were, and, and here's where God wants you to be. In marriage, he wants you to be married to somebody that you can share your deepest hurts with and not, not get pummeled. You can share your failures with, I blew it. And they're gonna go, I know you. And, and I, I wanna be there for you. Where you look and say, I think this is, and they'll, they'll be honest enough with you to say no. Where, uh, where your embarrassments can be shared, you say, I am so humiliated, and, the, and have them comfort you. Where they're there. You, you don't have to, you can open up, share your dreams without being mocked, your hopes without being mocked. Where you, they're, they're, they cheer you on, and they say, that's you, and I know God, and, and they're just boosting and lifting, and, and, and yet in the midst of it, you can be honest. And uh, what is that a reflection of? Don't miss this. It's a reflection of a life with Christ. When I give myself to Christ, they say, Lord, I want to leave the world. I want to be joined in unity with you. I commit my life to you. I want to be one with you. And Lord, I want to be open with you and honest. Have you ever read in the Psalms the things that are written? David says, God, I hate any names people he hates. Why? Because he would share his feelings. Now, at the end of it, he says, but God, tell me if I'm right. God, I would love to act out. God, I'm mad. God, they're attacking. And everything, he just opens up and shares it because he and God are so tight and close. And uh, let me say this really, really, hopefully, don't, don't, don't miss this. If you've missed anything else, when you're in this area of openness with God, it, again, is not about perfection. God loves you for who you are and who you can be. But he doesn't, doesn't love you with huge conditions on it. He just loves you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to be close to you. He knows every thought you've ever thought, every word you've ever spoken, every time you've done something wrong, and he couldn't love you more than he does. He knows the biggest mess-ups in your life, and he sees you as the most valuable thing that's ever been made. He couldn't love you more than he does. And after you become a Christian, don't miss this, after you become a Christian, if you sin, what is God going to do? He's going to forgive you. You know what? When my sons were growing up, when they messed up, I didn't go, oh, that's too bad. That's nine. You're out. You know, we don't do that, right? That would not be a good parent. God is the best parent ever, and he looks at you and says, I couldn't love you more than I do. Okay, you messed up. Let's get it right. 
I know who you can be. I know who you want to be deep down. I know what you were made for. I know what's going to drive your life to the joy. That's what I want to focus on with you. And, And you ready for this? Let's say, don't miss this one. If you're a Christian and you even plan and intend to sin, he's still going to forgive you. Now, I know even saying that, some people go, whoa, whoa, wait, I don't think that should get said because people will do it. But I found over the years they won't. When we realize how much God loves us, it's, it's harder to do it. it it's, it's more incredible that he cares that much, and he cares that much for you. He loves you that much. He wants to be close to you. He wants you to open up and experience him. And you know what? The, the church, by the way, was made a place where we can come and be honest together and not pretend. And in front of God, you don't need to pretend because he really loves you. Now, now, how do you enter into a relationship like this? You ready? Just like how you get married. In marriage, there's a proposal and an acceptance. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If you would open the door to me and let me in, then I would enter and I would have amazing fellowship with you and we would be so close and share together. So the Lord has already called out saying, would you open up to me? And you just have to say, yes, Lord, I will. Come, love me. Come, let me love you. Come cleanse me. Come change me. Come show me the life. And and, and so you need to say yes to him. Then, then and just like in a marriage ceremony, by the way, there's also an outward ceremony called baptism. And just like a couple, the guy proposes or the girl proposes and, and they say yes and come together. And, and then what happens? They have a wedding ceremony. A Christian says yes to Jesus and they go through a baptism ceremony to say, I want this uniting. And, and so here is the most important question of the day. Are you in an intimate, growing, amazing, passionate, open relationship with Jesus? where it's growing and incredible. And if not, I want to promise you he wants you. And I'm going to go to a time of prayer right now, and if you sense Jesus calling you to this, I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting to say, I'll do it. And I'm going to lead a prayer, just like I would lead vows in a ceremony, and I'm going to ask you to say some words, but think about them and mean them, where you talk to Jesus about how you feel in this moment. Now today, if you at one time were a Christian, or you actually uh, uh, say, I am a Christian, but it's just not intimate, it's not wonderful, it's not incredible, I'm going to ask you during this time to recommit, do a vow renewal with him. But, but we're becoming right now to the most important time in the service. So I want to ask this, from this point on, try as much as possible not to leave. And we're going to go to this time of prayer, and then I'm going to give the invitation, I'm going to ask that, that you go ahead and wait through this time so we don't distract. Let's pray. Father, I praise you for your love for us and I praise you for your plan for our lives. And I pray that, Lord, if there's someone here who's uh, hurting and in pain, they would know that you love them and care for them. They would sense your cleansing and your touch. I pray for the marriages here, Lord, that are flourishing. May they grow stronger. I pray for the ones, Lord, that are struggling. Lord, I pray that some of the truths we talked about today and other things that would happen that you would bring into their lives would cause that marriage to go to a whole new level of joy and excitement. And I pray for every one of us that we would live the life you have for us, Lord. We would be a blessing to you. We would have that amazing experience with you. And I ask right now that your Holy Spirit would come. And I ask, Father, that you would stir in this room. Make yourself known. And I pray that you would touch anybody here today who needs to give their life to you or needs to recommit. I pray they would know how much they matter.
I pray they would sense something stirring inside. I would pray that they would know that you're ready, Lord, to take them and love them and cause them to live an amazing life. May they know this is their time and moment. May you stir. All of you that God's touching right now, let's just whisper this prayer together. Say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, to heal me of my hurts, to make me alive, to make me new, and to make me yours. And I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit and help me be who you created me to be and to live the life you have for me to live. Because I want you and I'm yours. In this I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Wow, praise God for all of you who prayed that prayer. Wow.